reminder that of what awaits all of us who are resting in Christ. Thank you. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them to Luke chapter 6. We'll continue our study there. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Read through verse 26. 12 through verse 26. Let's hear God's word together. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall, la- for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, we pray that that you would make it a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, that we would behold glorious and joyful things in this your word. Lord, teach us. Teach us by the power of your Spirit so that we might grow in you, grow in, in our knowledge of you, and grow in our love for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. The ultimate internship. Well, most of you are unfortunately painfully aware of the fact uh, that my route to pastoral ministry has not been what you would call conventional. Um, actually, to, to borrow a word that, that Walt used Wednesday night, uh, it might be better described as circuitous. That's a good word. I've, I've, it's been, it stuck with me all week. Circuitous. It's, it's taken a really long time, and it's been a little serpentine. It's kind of been all over the place. But as unorthodox as it's been, uh, I'm thankful that the Lord has chosen to do it this way because it has allowed me uh, to have with, with Bill and Linda, uh, and to some degree with Mark, uh, what has turned out to be an extended internship. Now look, I don't have to tell any of you how, how wonderful any of those people are, especially Bill and Linda, and they wouldn't want me to do that, so I'll just say that having the opportunity to, to seek their wisdom, uh, having the opportunity to watch Bill in pastoral situations, 
having the opportunity to stand here with him and do weddings and do funerals, uh, and then having them out in the congregation, sitting under my preaching, having the opportunity to hear their critiques and their encouragement. Uh, it has given me something that, that no seminary class, that no seminary could have ever given me. It's given me practical, real pastoral training, uh, and I, I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful that that, that training has come from, from two, uh, really three, of the people that I would consider some of the best. Now, I begin there this morning because as we turn to this passage before us, we find here that the first full listing, at least in Luke's gospel, of the 12 apostles. And it's striking to me, and it's clear also from the way that, that Luke kind of frames this out, that, that his point for us is that as Jesus appoints these men, his, atten- his intention from the very beginning, from, from the, the time that he calls them, is to train them up not only for the life that they are about to live, but to train them up for for the job that they are to have when he is gone, for building his church, for going out and calling people to faith in Christ. All along the way, he is doing that for three years. Just like I've been able to to sit with Bill and Linda for three years, they get to sit at the feet of their Savior, and they get to see Jesus what service. They get to see what training. They get to see what their lives are supposed to look like. In short, they are privileged to the ultimate internship. Now, let me say two things about that title before we move on from it. First, I need to give credit where credit is due. I got that from a commentary by Philip Ryken. It's one of the headings that he uses. And so, Dr. Riken, if you're listening, and I'm sure that's high on his priority list to do, if he's listening, I appreciate that. But secondly, and more importantly, I need to say, in speaking of their relationship to Christ in that way, that I don't mean to imply that an internship was all that they had. I don't mean to imply that that was all that they needed from Christ. They certainly received more from him than just some good practical teaching that they needed more than just some good advice for how to face life and how to face their futures. In short, what they needed was the salvation of their souls, right? These men, just like all who are resting in Christ, are counted among his beloved sheep. They, They needed to be freed from sin, and he has certainly done that for them. And so I don't mean to to minimize that in any way. That primarily, chiefly, that's what they found in Christ. The reality is, is as those who have been sent out, the Lord determined also to, to train them up, to show them in the way that they should go, to give them rules and principles that they could use and to, to teach to others as they go out. And so we never need to forget the reality of, of what Christ has come to do. He, he's He hasn't come to just give us good advice. Too too much of Christianity, or what passes as Christianity today, is that. It's just self-help. It's just good uh, training and the way we can face the next day, uh, the next week. And look, there's value in that. But if that's all Jesus has done, then like Paul says, we're we're most to be pitied. Because we're still lost in our sin, right? 
And again, that's not all he's come to do. He's come to, to give us salvation, and he does that for these men too. But he also calls them to, to a very specific job that, that we are going to see. Now, with that foundation laid, with, with, with that in mind, uh, I say that, that they had the ultimate internship. Having received new hearts, having been saved by grace, Christ now calls them to a life of service. And what I want us to see is that in some way, this reflects our own walk with him. It shows us how we too are to live out this Christian life. And so that's what I want us to think about this morning. Let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to see here is an important decision, an important decision. And you see it there in verses 12 and 13. Now, it's significant to me that, that Luke begins here not with the apostles. He doesn't begin with an autobiographical sketch of their lives. He doesn't give us more information about who they were and what they did. But he begins here with the Lord. He, he begins here with Jesus. And once again, what do we find him doing? He's, he's praying, right? He's gone off to a, seclude, a secluded place, and he is on his knees before his father. Let's read verses 12 and 13 again. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Let's stop right there. We're going to say more about the significance, about the uniqueness of the apostles in a minute. But for now, I think we all understand that the impact that these men were to have, not only on the church, but on the history of the world. And so as Jesus gets ready to call these men, as he gets ready to make what is going to be a critical decision for his ministry, he stops, he pauses, and he prays. Now, friends, on some level, that, that should surprise us, but it's also a wonderful truth, right? First, it's surprising because we can't help but wonder why Jesus, God in the flesh, the Word made flesh, why did he have to stop and pray? Why did he need to seek the counsel, the guidance of the Father? Well, as we've said over and over again, this is a reminder to us of his humanity, right? As he made important decisions, as he faced difficult situations, he didn't just automatically know all the right answers, but instead he had to live in complete dependence on the Father, in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. And friends, we find him doing that here. If you remember back, this is not the first time that we've seen him pray. In chapter 4 and in verse 42, we see him doing the same thing. Chapter 5 and verse 16, he does it, and he's going to do it throughout his ministry. Jesus takes the time to stop and pray. He's living in dependence on all that the Father has for him. Now, that's surprising on some level, but it's also wonderful for us. Because, friends, it's a reminder to us of the priority, of the importance of prayer in our own lives. If Jesus, again, the Son of God, if he saw fit to stop his day and pray over difficult decisions, how much more should we, sinful men and women, stop and pray when we are faced with whatever it may be? Just a new day. The end of a day. Easy decisions, hard decisions. How much more should we seek 
the Father's face. How often are we misguided? How often do we get things wrong simply because we forget or simply because we are too prideful to stop and to seek the Lord? I look at my own life. I look back over the course of my life and how often I could have done things differently if I had just not looked to myself, if I had lived in dependence on the Holy Spirit, on what the Father says. Because the truth is, is we were not designed to be autonomous. We were not designed to do this life by ourselves. We were designed to look to him in everything, in every way. As Adam and Eve walked in the garden with him, knew him so intimately, that's the life he has called us to as well. And so, we, like Jesus, we should be people who are prayers, prayers. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said that, that we are never more like Jesus than when we are on our knees in prayer before the Father. And there's truth to that. Then we are living in the way he has called us to live. And so here we see Jesus making this important decision. He's calling these 12 men from among the disciples to be his apostles. And that leads us right into our second point. We've seen an important decision, but secondly, I want us to see the important place that the apostles have in church history, really, but but especially as we see them here. Now, already, several times in our study of Luke, we have noted the, the surprising character and the qualities of those that Jesus calls, those that he chooses to be his representatives out in the world. You know, almost all of them are are ordinary or maybe even less than ordinary. Uh, Oswald Chambers, he he says this, God can achieve his purposes either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and his grace. He chose to use somebodies only when they renounce dependence on their natural abilities and resources. Here we find him calling. If you read through this list of 12 men, we know something about a few of these guys, but there are some that we know very little about. It's a reminder to us that that these are, in many ways, nobodies. And yet over and over again, we see that Christ delights to work in and through them. The weakest of vessels, his purposes, they're not hindered by our lack of ability. And again, we we certainly see that here. These are men who are going to face hardships and trials. These are men who are going to see their Lord crucified and buried. These are men who are going to be faced with, with establishing his church in a lost and dying world. And the reality is, is over and over again, they fail, right? That their sin gets in the way, their pride gets in the way, that their lack of wisdom and knowledge gets in the way. That they, they have an inability to face the situations that are before them, and we see it clearly. And yet, in Christ, these are the men who will be gifted to heal and to do the miraculous. These are the men who will record or will be responsible for the majority of the New Testament witness, right? Of what we hold in our hands today. These are the men who, Paul says, laid the very foundations of the church. 
that you and I are building on today. These are the men in Revelation 21.14 who will have their names written on the foundations of the New Jerusalem. Through Christ, these men are able to do things far beyond their abilities. They are able to do things far beyond what anybody would have given them the credit to be able to do. They are called and they are equipped by him to do amazing, amazing things. To take this group of of small band that are in a room scared to death to turn them into the millions that we know today. You know, we're doing our apologetics course on Wednesday nights, and there's no greater proof for for the reality of what Jesus has done than, than what we're doing right here, right now, that we are still his church, that his church has grown the way that it has. How is it possible that Jesus took this band of, of, of people who were sinners, who turned their back on him, and turn them into what we know the Christian church today is. That's only a supernatural event. Only he could have done something like that. And so God uses these men. He uses them in powerful way. Now, on the one hand, we, we have to acknowledge the, the unique place that these men hold in the course of redemptive history. They are apostles, and that, that's not an office or a position that, that continues today. They were gifted to, to, for a particular time, for a particular purpose, and they accomplished that in the church. Now look, outside of, of new revelation, which is closed, there, there is no new revelation. God has spoken through his son, and he has spoken finally through his son. Outside of that, I am not one who will stand up here and tell you, that God cannot work in the miraculous ways that we see him work in the New Testament. I think he is able to do whatever he wants to do because he is God, and we are not. And so if he chooses to to work in miraculous ways in healing, in gifts, then he can do that. Certainly, he can do that. But we do have to acknowledge that normally it seems that today he doesn't work that way. Though if you talk to Mr. Rodney and if you consider some of the things that are going on in other places and other countries, we, we may see otherwise. But at least here, it seems that, that God is not working that way. These gifts that were so prevalent in that time, particularly among the apostles, they were given for a purpose. They were given to grow the church. And so these men ha- had a unique role. They had a, new, a unique job to do, and they were equipped uniquely for it. But as we consider them, we have to acknowledge that their experience, it does inform, it does mirror our own with Christ. We too have been called by faith in him. We too have been sent out into the world to build the church, right? To call every tongue, tribe, and nation. We too have been given the great privilege, the great responsibility of handling and teaching his revelation whether it is to our children, whether it's to our families, or again, whether it's to the world in general. And we too have been given gifts. Our gifts may look different than the ones that we find here, but we can be sure that that by his grace, Christ is equipping us. He is giving us the wisdom, the tools that we need to go out, to draw in those people, and to complete the work of his church, of, of building his church. And so we we can learn from these men. We see their unique place. 
but we can also learn from them. Now, quickly, uh, we have moved through this whole list, and we have not once mentioned Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And I don't want to stay here too long because we're going to have the opportunity to come back to this later in our study of Luke. Uh, but friends, what a, what a warning that, that last little phrase is to us. What a warning it is to all of us who are in the church today. Judas is a man who was with the Savior, who sat at his feet, who heard him teach, who saw his miracles firsthand who, as far as we know, there's no evidence to suggest that he himself was not equipped like the, arrest of, like the rest of the apostles to do miraculous things, to go out and to call people. We, we don't see that he didn't have that. And yet at the end of his life, he turns away. He never truly trusted in the Lord. Friends, I, I hesitate to say those things because often they, they build doubt where doubt does not need to be built. But we have to look at our own hearts. We, we can't consider Judas without looking at our own faith and saying, what are we here for? Who, who are we trusting in today? Are we looking to ourselves? Do we have some ulterior motive for, for walking in those, on those doors today? Or is our faith resting solely and wholly in the one, the only one who can give us redemption? If Judas could see it firsthand and not get it. And friends, we need to be careful as well. The author of Hebrews, he gives those, those warnings over and over to keep going, not to stop, to make it to the end. Paul says, run the race, get the prize. And it's Christ that leads us all the way. Friends, are we in the race? It's a warning to us. Well, we've seen the, the important decisions that Jesus had to make, the important place of the apostles. And then thirdly and finally, I want you to see some important training, some important training. And you see that in, really in verses 17 all the way through the, the end of the chapter. And I read this morning through verse 26, but I don't think we're going to have time to get all the way there today. So let's just look at, at verses 17 through 19 quickly here. First, we see that, that after he... he chooses these 12 that Jesus and his apostles, they come down the mountain, and almost immediately, they're thrown into the fire, aren't they? They're thrown right into the mix of the whole thing, you know, as is the usual case. Great crowds have gathered to hear what Jesus has to say, and there's those who are there to be healed. There's those who are there to have a demon exercise. There's those who just want to touch him, don't want to hear what he has to say, but this great crowd has formed. Now, I think we can read that and we can fail to picture what those scenes must have been like. You know, when, when people are desperate, they will do a lot of different things, right? When people are desperate, they will do whatever it takes to get what they think they need. And so you can imagine how these crowds must have been, how they must have pushed to get to Jesus, how they must have shouted out, how intimidating that must have been for this group of men as they walk down the mountain, as they have this new office to stand in this place. But notice how Jesus trains them, not by words here, but he trains them with his example, right? In, in verse 19 there, 
says that, that he is with them, that power was coming out of him, and that they were all, he healed them all. He was healing them through these means. He didn't flee, he didn't run, instead he stayed and he served. In doing so, he gives us an example. He gives these men an example of service to follow, how to care for even the lowest, for even the the smallest of society. He's showing them how to practically do ministry. Now, friends, how much do, do we need this in the church today? All of us, including myself, we we can talk a good game. We can go out and we can tell people the truth. We can say all the right things. But is ours a faith that works? Is ours a faith that is practical? That is actually doing these things. Helping those in need. Helping the poor. Setting aside our own rights. Our own desires. For the sake of others. Isn't that what Paul calls us to in that great song for Philippians chapter 2, right? Remember the the Christ hymn that's there? That that passage, he's calling people to humility, to love one another. He says, have this mind in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. Though he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, right? Right? By taking the form of a man, by taking the form of a servant, and by being obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. He says, do that. Go and live that way. Set aside your rights. Empty yourself. Follow after Jesus and live humbly before one another and before the world, serving one another, caring for one another. This is what we find Jesus doing over and over and over again. This is the example that he left for, his, for the apostles. And it's the example that he leaves for us today. It's the training that he gives us. Now, in the next section, we're going to see that he doesn't simply give us training, that he does, doesn't simply give us an example, but that he also speaks to us, right? He also teaches us in a mighty and powerful way. And what we're going to find First off next week is the way that that he calls us to live is completely counter to the way that the world would have us live, right? It's completely counter to the ideas, the things that we think are important, that we think have value. He says, leave those things aside and follow me. But today, as we try to wrap this up, as we try to put a bow on the whole thing, we've seen the unique a place that these apostles hold. We've seen their call, and we've seen their purpose and training. We've seen that in some ways these things are normative for us, that they're there for us to follow as well. Certainly we are to follow after Christ. And so the question is, is, is are you a part of God's people? Are you today following after Jesus? Are you living by his example? If not, Jesus invites you to come. You may feel unworthy, though you may be ill-equipped. You may be loaded down with sin and with guilt. He delights to save sinners. He delights to use people just like you and I in ways that we cannot possibly imagine. And if you know that truth today, the question for you is, is, are you serving? Are you serving others in the way that Christ served people here? Practical, 
real, tangible ways. Not just words. Those words are important. Are you truly serving the way that Jesus would call his disciples to serve? Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these things, uh, Lord, as we consider our own walk with you, Lord, we know the, the reality is, as we are much like the apostles, much like your disciples, then we are ill-equipped, we are not wise enough, not, not talented enough, not able to do the things that, that you call us to. And yet, Father, you are faithful to equip us. You are faithful to be with us. You are faithful to send us out, to give us the success that we long for. Lord, it's not what we do that, that is important. It's what you are doing through us. And so we look to you to do those things. Lord, give us hearts that, that long to serve other people, that long to serve them in real, practical ways. And Lord, I, I pray for opportunities to do just that. And that when those opportunities come, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful, that you would help us to, to look to you and to point others to the reality of what you have done for us. Lord, work in our hearts even now. Show us the example of our Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.